0: Do we have any um, <clears throat> Stranger thing, Things fans in here? Yeah, those of you that saw it. Yeah, okay, right on. Those of you that saw the graphic, you're like, oh, no way, you've watched this? This is and We're going to talk about it at church? I have not seen it, so I apologize, and I'm lame, and I know, man, I've got kids, so viewing time is very limited, and I have to choose very wisely what I want to invest in. Um, but I guess Stranger Things might be a good investment, huh? All right do me a favor, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 on page 799 in the Bibles that we have here. Here's the connection between stranger things and what we're doing here. The kingdom of God, when Jesus teaches the parables about what it's like to be a recipient and a member of the kingdom of God, a lot of times it's the exact opposite from what we would expect. It's upside down from the worldview and the way of thinking that feels normal and natural. And so Jesus, over and over again, is showing us that the way of the kingdom is counterintuitive. And we're looking then at, the, at a handful of different parables, and we're, we're noticing, as he teaches on the kingdom of God, he's teaching us something that's very important for us, but it might feel wonky. It might feel like, this isn't what I expected. And so we're asking, asking God for help even as we do this. Well, uh, Matthew 18, it's a section on relationships within the kingdom. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 21, all the way to the end of 18. We'll pray, and then after that, we'll get to work. Then Peter came to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. God, we admit this morning that forgiveness is hard, and it doesn't feel natural, and we need your help. And so, God, I'm grateful that in the kingdom, forgiveness is normal, but in my heart, that's not always the case. And so, Lord, we just pray for your help right now. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be ministering to each of us, helping us to become a gracious and forgiving and loving and caring community. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. so here's what we're going to do. This is such a hard subject. I'm just going to ask four different questions and we're going to answer them together. We're going to ask questions about this thing called forgiveness and how it would work in the kingdom. So here here are the questions that we'll go through. Who's it for? Why does it matter? What is it? And how do you actually do it? Okay? Who's it for? Why does it matter? What is it? And how do you do it? So who's it for? Well, forgiveness, you guys know, is really a universal need. There's not a single person that you're going to encounter that doesn't need to understand how to offer and receive forgiveness. All of us, we know in in relationships, relationships are difficult and they're hard and we get offended and wounded and hurt. And so forgiveness is this thing that would be beneficial for society in general. If people were, were able to learn how to forgive, how to offer it and receive it, how to extend it to others, that would be a very, very good thing, wouldn't it? And this concept of forgiveness then is really universal. It's something that everyone benefits from. Um, I remember taking a class, uh, and it was called, this is a mouthful, but it was called Interpersonal Communication and Conflict Resolution. And it was a class in you know Bible college and seminary where it was talking about relationships and i remember thinking this is the most practical course in all of my experience of education this is the most practical course i've ever taken and i i felt like everyone needs to experience these concepts everyone needs to learn a little bit about how to do these things in a better way in fact i was thinking i think that sort of class should be offered in middle school That we all deal with people and we're not good at it so we need a little bit of a boost here and we need some teaching here on how to do these things so in in one sense when we ask who is this for when we're looking at this concept of forgiveness we can say it's for everybody everybody needs this and anybody would benefit from it but when we look at this parable one of the things I want you to notice is it is a unique feature within the kingdom of God meaning people who are part of the kingdom of God ought to be especially good at it. That this is a teaching for the people of God, for the community of God's people, the church, the kingdom recipients. And you see that all through these, this entire chapter really. Chapter 18 is all about these relational components for the people of God, these relational dynamics for the people of God. So Christians especially should be good at this. Look, Look at how Um, the the questions are set up, okay? So Jesus is teaching on the importance of greatness in the kingdom, and he begins to define it by relationships. He goes, greatness in the kingdom looks like you care about other people. And then he says, when in conflict, here's how you navigate that. When somebody sins against you, here's how you, as a member of the kingdom, navigate this thing. You go to them, and you graciously confront them, and the goal is that the relationship is restored. And so when somebody repents of an offense, and and you've brought that before them, and you've discussed that together, and when they repent, Jesus says, then you forgive and restore them. And Peter then, thinking, he's scratching his head, and he's like, yeah, but how many times am I really expected to do that? Do I do that? You know, I'm, I'm ha- okay. You want me to do that? I'm happy to try it once, maybe twice. In fact, popular teaching back then was three times. That was pretty extravagant. If somebody kept repeat offending three times, is what the rabbi said. Okay, a- after that, you're you're off the hook. So Peter's going, okay, Jesus, you're you're a little bit different than all these other rabbis. So what's your number? I mean, is it seven? And I'm sure he's just throwing out this kind of ridiculous number. Like, am I supposed to forgive somebody seven times? Look at verse. Twenty-one, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus says, in verse 23, he he, he goes on to say, he says, um, not seven, but 77 times. Right? And now all of a sudden, we're just in a different, we're in a different category here. Jesus is teaching on forgiveness, and he's saying to forgive in the kingdom is going to be something that just blows you away. It's not something you're going to be able to quantify and set a limit on. And he's teaching then that this is about relationships within the kingdom. If, if a brother or sister, if somebody in the church offends you, and you work through that, and there's, there's repentance and, and, and there's restoration, and then they do the same thing again, Jesus is saying, you just keep on doing this thing. And then he tells a parable, so we understand that he's talking about these relationships. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like... And he begins to explain this thing. So here's what he's doing. He's telling us how forgiveness works in this community. He's telling us that as Christians, forgiveness is relevant for everybody that you're ever going to encounter, but Christians especially ought to be able to look at one another and when we offend one another, we're able to both offer and receive forgiveness. And it makes our community beautiful. And you guys know um, that if that were the case, if that happened normally and naturally within this kingdom community, it would be a beautiful and attractive feature. If, if relationships were marked by mercy and kindness and grace and where we could freely offer forgiveness to one another, that would be a beautiful thing. That's what we're after. So as a church, we talk a lot about the relational beauty that we're after. We don't just want to create programs and do ministry. We want to create a culture where the relationships within here, the friendships that you develop, the the family that you are doing life together with on mission, that there's a beauty about how we handle each other. And we also know Jesus is teaching an ideal, right? This is how it ought to be. This is how it should be. This is what we're aiming for. But oftentimes, it's not the case, right? That in the church, and in church in general, Christians can be mean-spirited and harsh, and critical, and meaning, and unforgiving. And so Jesus is reminding us here, this is for Christians, and we need to figure this thing out. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, this is exciting because you get to listen in and go, here's something they're not good at, but we're just going to be honest and go, we're, we're striving for this. We want to be a beautiful community where the relationships are healthy, and happy, and joy-filled, where we are merciful to one another. So That's who it's for. It's for everyone, but it's especially for us. Secondly, why does it matter? Why does forgiveness matter? Now, on just a pragmatic level, you should be able to walk out of here and go, forgiveness is a good idea. It would be better for me if I did that a little bit more. In fact, studies have shown that to forgive other people actually makes you healthier. I'm going to read just a little bit from a thing called the Stanford Forgiveness Project, and this is what they came up with. So, it's, you know, they're, they're doing research, and this is their conclusion. This is not biblical, this is just common sense. And they said, although the act may not come naturally to us, research has shown that learning to forgive lessens the amount of hurt, anger, stress, and depression people experience. People who want to learn, people who, who learn to forgive also become more hopeful optimistic, and compassionate. Forgiveness also has physical health benefits. People who learn to forgive report significantly fewer symptoms of stress, such as backache, muscle tension, dizziness, headaches, and upset stomachs. In addition, people report improvements in appetite, sleep patterns, energy, and general well-being. Stanford Forgiveness Project says all of that. So here's what we can take away then. This stuff matters, and to even pursue it would be a good thing for anybody. To pursue this thing would make us healthier. I mean, how many of us would love for our stress levels to be reduced? Would love for back pain and and these muscle tensions and all these different things to be improved? Forgiveness offers a way forward. And research even points in the direction that the Bible is suggesting. To be forgiving is a good, good thing. And so it matters. And to be forgiving helps you to be It helps you to create this relational safety, right? If you are unforgiving, there's one of the things I was noticing this week. If you are unforgiving, it's ugly. If you're unforgiving, it makes relationships feel fragile and hostile. So when people come into contact with you, if you're known to be an unforgiving person, you're experienced as dangerous. Look at how the how the story unfolds. When that servant gets released from his debt, he begs for mercy. Have mercy on me. I will pay it all back. And the king grants him pardon. He clears his debt. He takes pity on him. He lets him go free. And what does he do? He goes and he finds somebody else who owes him a much significantly less amount. And he begins to choke him. Look at verse 28. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. When we are unforgiving, we become ugly in the way that we relate to other people. We can even be hostile. And some of us would, you know, we we get physically irritated by people if we're unforgiving. And maybe, you know, some of us, we we would physically do something to people. Oftentimes, it's it's subtle, though. We want to verbally harm people. And we want to silently assassinate them with things like gossip and slander. But, but when we are unforgiving, it is, it's ugly. So, so it matters, doesn't it? It matters deeply that we would pursue forgiveness because none of us wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to be a jerk face today. Right? I can't wait to treat people in a way that's hostile. I can't wait for people to have to kind of tiptoe around me because they're so nervous that they might offend me and I might harm them. Most of us aren't thinking that way. But that's ugly. And what do the other servants do when they see how all of this unfolds? Verse 31, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. They look at how this forgiven individual handles other people, and it is outrageous. It offends them. We were were at an event several months ago, and after the, the event was over, a bunch of us were kind of marching out into the parking lot and um, it was dark out and I remember seeing a couple and they were maybe 20 yards away or something like that but they were, they were having a disagreement and uh, there was a security guard there and so I'm marching out to get my car and then to come back and pick Ashley up and, and I see this like this hostility in the way that they're treating one another and then I see the guy I don't, it was dark out there so I couldn't really tell what happened but a cell phone flew on the ground and he just marches off and I remember feeling outraged by that. And, I, and just feeling like, this is not okay. I don't know what's going on with this couple. I don't know what's going on with this guy, but to see him behave in that way is outrageous. And it, it made me irritated, and I wish that I would have you know, put a cape on and swooped in and like done something about it like I would do with my kids. Like, you pick that thing up, you go apologize to her. But I didn't do any of that. I just revised it as I thought back on it. But here's the, here's the reality, a lot of us man, when, when we're unforgiving, other people take note of that. And here's how it feels to them. It feels outrageous. There's something about if we're not willing to be merciful with other people, especially as Christians, there's something about that that just feels off. And we want to come in like a dad and say, you pick that thing up and you go forgive that person and let's make things right here. But listen, I hope that you evaluate your own heart and the experience that people would have with you and that they're not feeling that way about you, that they don't feel like you're dangerous and hostile, but they feel that you're merciful and caring. So it's important. It's important because we want relationships to be beautiful. It's important because Jesus begins to elevate this mercy and the willingness to offer it to other people really as a way to evaluate your own heart. In fact, let's look at verses 32 to 35. This is the end of of the parable, and this is how Jesus concludes his teaching on this thing. He's saying that after this man doesn't forgive another person, he's brought back before the king, and in verse 32 it says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus puts a fine point on this teaching. And he says in verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. I like to qualify a lot of things in the Bible because it makes it easier. If I can explain, here's what Jesus really meant. He's not really telling us that we have to forgive. And we can just try to make sense of it. You take the edge off of it. But what is Jesus saying? He is saying that if we are unforgiving, we are missing something here. Right? If we're unforgiving with one another on that horizontal level, then there's something broken or off in the way that we are experiencing the mercy of God. And he just says it very boldly. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. So forgiveness is obviously, in the mind of Jesus, a very big deal. If we want to be sincere in our claims that we know a merciful God, it ought to show up in the way that we treat other people with mercy. Our relationships should be kind of a proving ground of that reality that we're forgiven people, and we're learning how to offer mercy and forgiveness to other people. It really is just this fruit. It's revealing this fruit about our lives. And the fruit doesn't... So to me, it kind of sounded like Jesus was saying, in order to be saved or forgiven by God, you have to forgive. Almost like there's a work to be done to get that salvation. But we know that's not how Jesus teaches. It's a fruit. It's something that reveals the reality. So my parents had an, an apple tree while, while we were growing up. And every year you'd go out there, there were all these you know, apples on the ground and apples in the tree. But one year, it just didn't have any apples. And you, at that point, you're able to say, this tree isn't an apple tree because of the fruit. But if the fruit's not there, there's something wrong with the tree. And so Christians, if we look at, you know, if we say, hey, I'm a follower of God, I've, been, I've experienced the mercy of God, but if there's no fruit of mercy flowing to other people in our relationships, there's something wrong there. There's something that's off there. There's something that's unhealthy there. So why does it matter? It matters because Jesus elevates it to the standard of you evaluate your experience of God based off of whether or not you're actually doing this. All right, what does it look like? What does it look like to forgive? What does it look like for us? How Can we work on something that looks a little and feels a little bit more like a definition? And the first thing I want to show you is that forgiveness, according to the kingdom, is extravagant. I mean, forgiveness, he begins to... to I'm terrible with numbers. Like, I'm not a math dude at all. I struggled to, to get the requirements done I had to get done in math. But Jesus begins to deal with numbers in a way I like where they're just kind of, he's just throwing out these numbers, and you're like, I can't do the math here, and I'm not supposed to. Perfect. This is my kind of equation. Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. And so if you're doing the math, you're trying to figure out, is that, for, you know, if he's, so you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, sometimes he says seven times seven, you're doing the math there. Then in the, in the parable, what does he do when he's describing the debt? He says uh, in verses 23 and 24, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now here's what's fascinating about the math here. The words there that say 10,000 bags of gold, how we have it in English, they were unique words in their culture back then. The word bags of gold is actually the word talent and talent is 75 to 100 pounds of precious metal. It's this huge weight of gold or silver. And so he said, this person had this debt and it was the biggest monetary value that we have, these bags of gold, these talents, these 75 to 100 pound bags. And then he says, and he owed 10,000. Now that word there is actually the word myriad, which is the largest number that they ever used. And so we translate it into 10,000, but what, what, what are our biggest numbers? So we've got, you know, thousands and 10,000s and 100,000s and millions and billions and trillions, and then we just start making words up, gazillions, and that's kind of what he's doing here. This guy owes a gazillion dollars. Like, we don't even have a word for this thing. This guy owes so much money, he could never, ever pay it back. In fact, just to give you a point of reference, when they were building the temple in the Old Testament and people were bringing money, David and the leaders, this is 1 Chronicles 29 verse 4, David and the leaders of the Israelites gave 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver, 10,000 bags of precious metal. And that help them to be able to create the biggest infrastructure and the most important feature of their entire society. Lots and lots of money to build this thing, a community project taking several years to complete. And now we're hearing there's a servant who owes that much money to the king, an incalculable amount, an amount that could never be paid back with a lifetime of normal work. And so what is he suggesting here? He is saying, that to experience the mercy of the king, to experience the forgiveness of the king who is God himself, is to be forgiven an amount that you could never, ever repay. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be somebody who recognizes God has extended mercy to me in a way that I could never earn, or perform my way into, or, or merit, or, or make God do for me. This is something that God in his mercy does. He has given me a gracious forgiveness. He has given me something that I don't deserve and I cannot earn. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be forgiven in that sort of way. And so then, when we begin to forgive other people, our forgiveness should also be extravagant. We should be looking at other people recognizing, man, if I've been forgiven that much, any small amount is is something that I should be able to, by the power of God in me, overlook and offer mercy to them. Well, let's work on our definition now. There are three elements to forgiveness that we find in verse 27. Uh, Tim Keller pointed this out, and this will sound a lot like him. I don't even apologize for that. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Three elements of forgiveness taking pity, canceling debt, and letting go. So taking pity is when you look at somebody and you have compassion on them. Your heart goes out to them. You identify with them. You look at them and you go, I think I, kind of, I can at least relate to why you did what you did. Jeff, one of the dudes in my small group, he always says this, everyone's just trying to, just trying to get by. And he's, he's having compassion and pity on people. Everyone's just trying to get by. When these students or these parents come in and they're causing me grief, I have to remind myself they're just trying to get by. He's letting his heart go out to them. He's having compassion on them. Now, the opposite of that is when you begin to villainize people. Instead of allowing your heart to connect with them and try to relate to them in that way, you begin to treat them as if they're the enemy. And anything that you do, you begin to define them according to those activities that are hurting to you. So uh, think about your sports team. When somebody on your sports team does something that is a little bit shady, that is lacking in sportsmanship, what do you do? You excuse them. They're just very competitive. And they, you know, this is, this is you, you excuse them. But what happens when the opposing team does something similar? You villainize them. That person is a thug. This is how they behave. This is wrong. We do that in our relationships all the time. If, if, if we're looking at somebody, we either can let our hearts go out with compassion to them and we can begin to try to understand and, and, and relate to them, or we villainize them. And we say, this is just who they are. They're shady. They're hurtful. They're dangerous. And then we begin to treat them accordingly. One professor from Princeton, Miroslav Volf, he puts it like this, forgiveness flounders because... I exclude my enemy from the community of humanity, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. When we start treating ourselves like we're above doing anything wrong ever, and we start looking at these other people who are hurting us, and we begin to treat them in an inhumane way, that's when forgiveness is going totally awry. So part of forgiveness is, is that having pity on them looking at other people and trying to understand where they're coming from and what's going on. The second piece of it is to cancel the debt. Forgiveness involves canceling debt, canceling relational debt. And that doesn't mean that the hurt or the pain just vanishes into thin air. It doesn't. If you've been harmed, that doesn't just go away when you utter those magic words, I forgive you. The hurt and the pain is very much still real and there, but here's how you're managing it now you are canceling it in the sense that you're thinking I no longer hold you accountable to pay that back in relationships when somebody hurts you here's how we do it the, the transaction works like this you get hurt and you think they there needs to be retribution there needs to be they have to pay back because of what they've done to me so they either have to honestly confess the degree and depth of the hurt that they've caused or you, you kind of silen- silently sit there, and you're waiting for them to experience something tragic. And then you silently cheer for it. Because you're just thinking, they're getting what they deserve. They need to be paid back for what they've done to me. Forgiveness is when you say, I'm canceling the debt. I don't expect for this to be paid back. In fact, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to, I'm going to be the one who eats the cost. So I was down in Orlando several years ago, and I didn't bring my wakeboard with, so I went to the shop and borrowed one. And I was overweight and out of shape, and I go out on the the wakeboard park, and I'm riding around, and I land, and the board breaks. I'm like, crud, these things are hundreds of dollars. So I bring this broken board into the shop, and I go, guys, I'm really, really sorry. I wasn't really even doing anything that cool, and this thing broke, and and here's, here's what they said. That's not your responsibility. We'll take care of it. Now, that board is still broken. They can't just turn around and give it to another kid and go, okay, have fun with this thing. That board is broken. They ate the cost. When we forgive people, here's what we're doing. We're saying, I'm going to eat the cost. The king in our story, that money didn't just, you know, all of a sudden reappear when he said, I cancel your debt. He had to suffer the loss. If you're going to forgive somebody, you're saying that retribution that I want, that vengeance that I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go. And I'm not going to expect for you to have to repay it anymore. Here's the third thing. It's, le- it's letting them go. And, and in relationships, we, we have to get to the place where we're not putting conditions on our forgiveness. We're not saying, you have to, I'll forgive you, but here's what I expect you to do moving forward. Letting them go is when you're saying, I forgive you. And you may or may not respond appropriately to that mercy. You, may or, you, you might just go back and do it today. But I'm going to let you go because I've experienced mercy. I'm giving you mercy as well. Here's the last piece. How do we do this, friends? How do we actually forgive people? How do we become Christians who excel in being kingdom people, offering mercy to one another? And I was challenged this week. I learned some new things this week as I was looking through this. I used to say, forgiven people forgive people. And if you want somebody to be forgiving, the task is to help them understand how much they've been forgiven. And then it's kind of like automatic because if you recognize what God has done for you, then it's going to begin to show up in how you treat other people. But look, the parable says the exact opposite thing. It is possible to be forgiven an amount that you can't even number and still be unforgiving to other people. Isn't it? And you, have, you could probably think about relationships, and maybe it's even you. You know, I'm a very forgiven person. I understand my salvation. I just struggle with helping anyone else experience that mercy. We, we know that it doesn't just work automatically. So how do we do this? How do we become forgiving people? And I think it's a matter of accessing the power of God. Uh, Ash's car, when we first picked it up, um, we were all excited about it. It was the newest car we've ever purchased and has all these cool features in there. We drive it off the lot. And then she listens to sports talk and you know, AM radio so she can listen to Cubs games. And we turn the AM radio on and it doesn't work. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I bring it into a dealership and I say, hey, can you guys look at this thing? We really want the AM radio. I mean, if we're going to have a nice car like this, we want the features you know, to work. And so they begin looking through it. And they come back and they say, we think it's your antenna. So we're gonna replace that, and that should solve the problem. So they replaced the antenna on top of the car. And then they call me up, "Uh, Mr. Williams, I'm sorry, that didn't resolve the issue. It might be the head unit. We might, you know, on your radio, there's a computer inside of it, and maybe they're not communicating with one another. So we're gonna reprogram that thing. We might have to purchase a new one, but we're gonna get this dealt with. And so they work on that, and they go, actually, we tested it, and the head unit's fine as well. So the antenna's fine, and the head unit's fine, what's the problem here? And they got to the point where they were like, we don't even know what's wrong with this. You're going to have to take it back to the dealership where you bought it, and they're going to have to figure this thing out. And he, so we take it there, you know, super inconvenient. Um, it's in by Chicago, and we take it in, and they have to leave the car there for multiple days. And here's what they find out. There is a cable that goes from the head unit to the antenna that's, it was there the whole entire time. And here's, there's a coupling in the middle of the car and the headboard that was disconnected. All they had to do was reconnect that coupling, and now it all works. Now, here's, what, here's my point. Most of us in here, we've got, that, we've got all the right equipment. We know we're forgiven. We, we understand that what, what God has done for us is exceedingly merciful. We also know that ought to... Communicate in a way where we say, okay, this is going through the head unit of my heart and I'm going to extend this to other people. I know that all these pieces are working, but most of us are having a hard time connecting that wire. We, we know this is what God has done for us. This is what that means for other people. I just don't really feel it very often. So here's what I think we need to do. I think we need to pray that God would give us the ability to do what He's asking us to do. That He would give us the power and the Emotional wherewithal to be able to look at somebody and say, I forgive you. Corey Tenboom, Ruth, uh, several years ago, I don't know if she remembers this, but we were, she helped me out with student ministry and we're doing a series on biographical figures in Christianity. And, and she came up to me afterwards and she said, I'm loving this series. I'm learning some new things. She goes, Have you ever read The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom? And she began to explain this person and what she had done, and I was like, no, I never have. And so I've always been intrigued by this individual, and um, Corrie Ten Boom was arrested during the time of Nazi Germany World War II because her and her family were aiding the Jews. And so her and her sister Betsy and her elderly father um, all went into concentration camps, and she lost Betsy and she lost her dad. And eventually was you know liberated and as a Christian then began to go around and share about the love of God so she would go through Germany and you know have church services and talk about God and talk about her experiences and this is from her book The Hiding Place but she talks about this time when she was in Munich Germany and she sees this guy and it was the SSR soldier at the showers that her and her sisters had to nakedly march into. So she's, you know, just got done communicating about the love of God, preaching about the love of God, and all these people are coming up to shake her hand. Corey, thank you. That message was so helpful. And this guy just comes down to her, and he says to her, can you believe what you've just said? Isn't it wonderful that God can forgive me, that his blood washes over my sins too? And he reaches out her hand to her. And this is in the book, and you can, you can read it for yourself. But she froze. And she couldn't, she couldn't lift her hand to shake his hand. And she's sitting, you know, in that moment, she just prays. And she's, she's praying, God, I can't do this. I can't forgive this guy. But you can. Please, God, give me your forgiveness. And she lifts her hand and grabs his hand, and she describes it in this way. She said, I felt like power, like a charge, was going through my shoulder, down my arm, into this man's hand, and I felt my heart warm to this man in a profound way that she's struggling to even describe. She's saying, all of a sudden, my heart is overwhelmed with love for this guy. Here's what she says. We can put it up on the screen here. So I discovered... That it is not our forgiveness, it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. We need to be forgiving people, and we can't do it. As kingdom individuals, we've been forgiven an exorbitant amount. And God is saying that should show up in your normal relationships, and the truth is, we can't do it but God through us can. God can give us the ability to look on other people and love them and be merciful to them. And so we need to ask for his help. So I'm going to invite the band to come and we're going to do one more song and and then we'll peace out. But we um, we need to just take a moment and pray and ask that God would give us the power to do what he's asking us to do. So would you bow with me, please? Let's do it this way. Why don't you go ahead and stand up if you're able and willing. We'll pray as we stand. And while we pray, I wonder if there are relationships that we need to apply this to. There are people who need our forgiveness. There's hurt and pain, and those are real things, and that's not going away, but we need to be able to look at them and say, because God has been so merciful to me, I'm praying that he would help me to extend that mercy to you. I forgive you. Let's pray. God, man, relationships, they are so, so, so important. And as a church, we continue to acknowledge that. I mean, if that could be our legacy, that we would have a beautiful gospel culture, if that could be something that we're known for, even if it means that we're not good at other things, but we're paying attention to this, Lord, that would make me incredibly happy. And God, we need your help to forgive people. We can be so petty. We can have little things happen that just eat at us, and then we continue to hold on to it. And we allow it to shape the way that we think about those people and talk about them and and the way that we hope that things go poorly for them. But God, you have been merciful to us while we were sinners, while we were enemies. You loved us and died for us so that we could be brought in and made family. So help us, God. With that power, would you help us to love and be merciful and kind and generous and forgiving to other people? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.